Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and as always, um, I feel like I have to say it every show because it's so true. I'm so grateful to all of you out there who are joining us uh, for our show. Let me stipulate at the very top of the show what you all already know. We do this show live at 9 in the morning, and at 2 in the afternoon, the show is rebroadcast. And the reason it's particularly pertinent today is that as we... Uh, start the show here at about 9.06 or so on Thursday morning. We're preparing uh, for the Governor's State of the State address, which comes up at 11 o'clock. We'll talk a little bit more about the details of how you can watch or listen to the address as the show goes on. But in the meantime, if you're listening at 2, it's already happened. Uh, But um, I think you'll find that the conversation around some of what the governor has to say will remain relevant Uh, today. Uh, With all that in mind, let's get right to introducing the panel, excuse me. On uh, Thursdays, my partner from the AJC is the boss himself, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Kevin Riley. Kevin, this has been a big week for you, not only in terms of the political coverage that you and GPB and other news organizations did around the visit of the president, the vice president, but man, you really blew it out with your uh, uh, special pages of the uh, relating to the national championship, Georgia Bulldogs. Well, Bill, when your uh, big state college team finally wins a national championship after over 40 years, I think it's time to blow it out. Uh, one thing I would mention, too, we are getting such an enormous response to this uh, and here's what I would say to your your listeners. Don't email me or anyone on our staff if you're looking for a souvenir copy of the paper <laughs> or, or a copy of Mike Luckovich's cartoon. Go to our website, AJC.com, and you can find a way to simply order stuff for yourself. Oh, oh, I was planning on giving out your cell phone number for people who wanted to know how to get that information. Well, Thank you knows, for uh... <laughs> everyone knows you've already hit me up for free copies of the paper. They expect that out of you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here today, Kevin. <laughs> Stephen Fowler is with us. He's GPB's political reporter. Stephen, this is a very big day for you because you will be at the Capitol as you are during the legislative session covering the governor's state of the state address today. So thank you for joining us before you have to be at the Capitol. Of course, Bill. Always a pleasure to come on and talk about the never-ending world of Georgia politics. And it is never-ending. You are completely correct about that. And two of the people who play central roles in that uh, unending political universe are Representative Chuck F. Stration, a Republican from Decula, who's back with us. We're awfully glad to have you back Representative Evstration. You know, we haven't seen you. I don't we certainly haven't seen you in the new year. I don't think that our listeners have have heard from you since redistricting was finished. You, of course, are in the middle of Gwinnett County, a rapidly shifting demographic politically. How did uh, given that you're the chair of the House committee redistricting committee how did your district uh, end up how are the lines chuck are they still favorable for you well bill great to be with you i actually chaired the judiciary committee in the state house and uh ah, that's certainly right. we that's we had right. a special legislative session 
um, with new districts drawn. I'll be running for re-election in House District 104, which includes uh, Gwinnett County and Barrow County. And so, uh, you know, I um, would love to talk with you further, if not today, about the registering process and, and really get into that. So if your listeners have any questions, they understand that. And, of course, local redistricting is still to come with county commission, school board seats and things like that. So that will be taken up this uh, legislative session. Yeah, thanks for that uh, 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 correction. Uh, I appreciate it. We're joined again by uh, Senator Sonia Halpern, Democrat from Atlanta. Senator, how did the lines that they drew affect you in your uh, Atlanta plus district? Well, good morning. Glad to be back with you today. Hello to everybody. I My district um, really is the, the principally the same. I, I definitely have some shifts and some changes, but my dem, my district remains, you know, wonderful neighborhoods across the same five cities I was already representing, Atlanta, College Park, City of South Fulton, East Point, and Union City. Um, there are some precinct changes that happen, so I, I do have some new friends that I will need to make in uh, neighborhoods like Morningside and Lenox Park. But, um, but all in all, um, I think the core, the core factors of my district remain intact, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, my reelection and being able to try to continue to represent the folks in this District 39. Well, thanks for filling us in, and, and, and to you, too. Thank you so much for spending time with us on what's going to be a very busy day down at the Capitol uh, for uh, you. Um, let's get right to uh, one of the headlines that we're going to hear Governor Kemp talk about in his State of the State speech. The governor at the Eggs and Issues Breakfast, which um, is one of the major uh, annual events at the start of the legislative session, it's sponsored by the Georgia Chamber of Commerce, the statewide chamber, and uh, it is a venue in which the governor, the Speaker of the House, uh, the uh, lieutenant governor, and other leaders this year, including Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, uh, Mayor Andre, Andre Dickens, they all get a chance to talk about what the legislative session looks like from their point of view. Um, and with that in mind, Kevin, we should say that um, a major component of what Governor Kemp had to say in his speech yesterday was that he is using some of the state's vast, vast uh, financial reserves to uh, call for a billion six worth of income tax refunds for all Georgians. People, individuals would receive uh, a $250 single filer refund. Joint filers would receive a $500 refund. Before we talk about it, let's listen to how the governor uh, framed that proposal in his speech yesterday. Last fiscal year, because we kept Georgia open and fought alongside you all in this room to keep businesses and communities afloat, the state collected a record budget surplus. I believe that when government takes in more money than it needs, surplus funds should be sent back to the hardworking men and women to keep our state moving. Because I believe that's your money not the government's. That's why my amended 2022 budget authorizes the Department of Revenue to provide $1.6 billion in refunds to every taxpayer in our state. Kevin Riley, not a bad way to go into an election year in which uh, Governor Kemp faces pretty strong challenges, potentially from David Perdue. And if he gets uh, past the primary, then from Stacey Abrams offering to give people some money back. Kevin? Yeah, I would say the governor is in a strong position, Bill, because of that state surplus. 
Uh, and, you know, he's got the challenge from Purdue, and Purdue's calling for just eliminating the income tax. So uh, uh, Kemp had to respond in one way or another. Uh, Stephen knows the details. I know the budget much better than I, but I mean, part of the reason for the surplus, right, is the federal money that came George's way, and he didn't happen to mention that. Um, Stephen, the governor did. He, the governor contends that the money for things like the income tax refunds and a few other budget proposals that we'll talk about are not coming from the federal COVID relief money, which we should point out the governor and a number of other Republican state leaders opposed when they were up for debate on Capitol Hill. But it's pretty hard to separate them out because it's the federal money that gave them a cushion to have this state surplus. Yeah, so the budget and budget priorities are in a very interesting place right now because you do have the strength of Georgia's economy and income tax collections and things being greater so there's a surplus, but you also have this one-time federal money coming in. So uh, we'll see from the governor calls for things like the teacher pay raise and other uh, pay raises and things that will be sort of one-time spending uh, because a lot of the money that's here now, and it looks like we're riding high on the hog, might not be there in future years. So I think the things that the governor and the appropriations chairman want to spend the money on will be things that will last far beyond whatever federal government money is there, which is why we aren't seeing, you know, everything seeing, you know, it's not like Oprah, you get money, you get money, you get money. We're seeing things (laughs) that, you know, two, three, four years down the road when there is no federal money, the state still wants to have the priority to have teachers paid more and state employees paid more and the GBI funded and things like that. So that's important to consider when uh, seeing just this uh, laundry list that the governor's putting out. Representative Evstration, I think that Stephen Fowler makes a really great point. I mean, he is already he has already said before this income tax uh, uh, refund uh, proposal, five thousand dollar raises for state employees, part of an effort to retain employees at a time when people are leaving their jobs. The two thousand dollar increase for teachers, continuing to fulfill his promise to give teachers big raises, um, but but. And also, yesterday he announced he's going to put 260-some million dollars back into the university system of Georgia, which got uh, uh, cut out of uh, some of the budget priorities they had during the pandemic. Um, But it's interesting, your leader in the House, Speaker David Ralston, at the same— on the same dais as Governor Kemp yesterday at Eggs and Issues said he wants members to be cautious and frugal as they look at spending. Representative Estration? Fiscal responsibility is the reason that we have this surplus and that we're in such a great position. You think about the uh, work that the General Assembly's done to be very careful and mindful of state spending, knowing that these are taxpayers' funds that uh, that the state's responsible for explaining the dollars spent. Uh, also, as Speaker Ralston has, has referenced, is protecting the state's AAA bond rating, which really sets Georgia separate and apart from many other states. I think the fiscal responsibility that we've seen at the state capitol, and in addition, uh, Governor Kemp's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, keeping Georgia businesses in a position where they can continue to be open, employers can continue to employ folks, has kept Georgia at having uh, the lowest unemployment rate really in history and put us in an incredible financial position uh, that now, uh, now we're looking at with the state budget.
Senator Halpern, there are Democrats who believe that the governor would be better off if he would direct some of the surplus money to the full expansion of Medicaid, which is certainly going to be a plank, maybe the biggest plank in Stacey Abrams' run for the governor's office later this year. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think the concern is that there are in Medicaid and certainly health care being an area, and there are others as well that we know that we need to invest in, that we know that we're not investing in. I'll name education as an example of a place where we really know that we need to invest more money in for, the, for our students and our teachers. And the list goes on and on. I think the key is that we are taking a look at the dollars that we have and to the points that have already been made, making sure that they're generative and regenerative, that it's, these are not just one-term shots, that they actually have long-term benefits that actually are able to make a difference in the lives of Georgians. The tax cut that he has announced yesterday, while certainly everybody would be happy to get any additional dollars in the pocket, right? The balance on that is how do we make sure that where we're investing the dollars, it can really make a difference. And and I'm not even trying to suggest that $250 or $500 won't make a difference for families across the state, but where can we see it be very iterative and Medicaid expansion um, from our viewpoint really is one of those places that make an absolute difference. Stephen, here, let's go back to uh, uh, Ralston again for a moment. Here's what he said about he does endorse the state employee pay, cre- pay increase because he says they've got such a high turnover rate. But then in talking about tax cuts, Ralston said, quote, rather than spending like there's no tomorrow, we're going to do like we've always done and invest wisely and securely. He doesn't, as uh, as we've already discussed, want to do anything to jeopardize the bond rating. Are we likely, does it appear, to see uh, that there might be a fight over whether or not these tax refunds should, in fact, go out to Georgians? Well, a tax refund is an easy way to give money back to people without jeopardizing future budget years, because the governor's action that he's called for, with either $250 for single filers or 500 for joint, uh, is money that has already come in coming back. So you already know what the money coming in is, and so that doesn't jeopardize future budgets, future state spending plans. I mean, the tax cut propositions, I mean, the it seems incredibly unlikely that there's going to be an elimination of the income tax in Georgia because that's half the state's revenues. But this tax refund and some of the other tax measures that uh, chip away at things around the edges are ways to, again, not get over the skis and ensure that, you know, whatever the future budgets may hold, whatever the future budget years may hold, that lawmakers today don't end up doing something to hurt the lawmakers of future years. I think Kevin Riley. Exactly, yeah, Bill, I think Stephen's exactly right about all that. And then when I heard that, that from Ralston, what I was hearing was him supporting Governor Kemp over David Perdue. I think he was sending a signal that was like, look, this crazy talk about eliminating an income tax is irresponsible. And what we want to do and what this governor and I want to do is keep this state on a reasonable measured course going forward. And that, that's what I read it is um, he's going to support Kemp. You know, don't forget the eggs and issues is sponsored by 
the Georgia Chamber, which came out and has already endorsed Governor Kemp, which they did not endorse someone in the last governor's race. So I think them, that was part of the tone of the event. Representative Evstration, is the appetite, do you believe, there among your colleagues to support this uh, tax uh, uh, cut, this, this refund? I think getting the state budget proposal from the governor today really is the kickoff to discussions about how uh, what a responsible state budget should be like. And uh, we will be having appropriations hearings next week, beginning Tuesday uh, after the holiday. And uh, that's really when we're going to hear testimony from state administrators. We're going to hear from the governor. And when we have a specific proposal that we can really look at, talk with the fiscal experts to discuss what the implications will be and what uh, foreseeably we're expecting with the economy, we can make a determination about what's, a, what's appropriate. So I guess, uh, I guess what I would say is um, we have a, a understanding that fiscal stewardship is critical for state taxpayer dollars, and we are going to really go through that process next week to determine what an appropriate uh, – um, tax policy should be. Senator Halpern, before we leave the subject of uh, budget proposals, let me just pick up on this whole question about uh, Medicaid expansion. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stephen Fowler said uh, that uh, the governor is looking at initiatives that will take advantage of the COVID relief uh, fund, the cushion the COVID relief federal money gave uh, to pay for things that will not have to be renewed down the line. And one of the course ongoing objections that Republican governors from Nathan Deal to, through uh, Brian Kemp have had to ex the full expansion of Medicaid is their concern that at some point down the road, the state would be picking up costs if the federal government cannot continue to support it at 95 plus percent. Yeah, so this is this is it's, it's a fascinating thing because what we really are looking at is the opportunity for the state to have a nine to one match on these federal funds in order for us to be able to expand, and and at the same time, um, there is a lot of talk generally around me about you know we need to one and and I think you know rightly so in thinking about how do we spend our money where do we spend it how do we how are we able to continue to support these things and being um, fiscally smart about our investments and our, and our expenditures. Um, from a business sense, though, I, I'm, I struggle to understand what business would reject the opportunity to take a nine-to-one, uh, I'll say match again, but nine-to-one in order to be able to do what we all broadly agree needs to happen, which is effectively we all agree that we do need to have more Georgians insured, that it costs us a lot of money, more money uh, when people are uninsured, um, and it overtaxes and overburdens. Um, it, we even look at our hospital systems and, and what we're seeing right now over the last two years of COVID, it overburdens them. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but I mean, Certainly the opportunity to be able to take that money and then have a number of years ahead of us to figure out how to continue to make that happen when we've got proposals on the, on the floor already that will, in fact, ensure one-tenth of the, the number of people for the same amount of money. Representative Evstration, it now appears pretty likely that the Biden administration is going to reject 
uh, the two waivers that the Kemp administration asked for uh, in terms of uh, Medicaid. One of them, of course, and Medicare and, and, and the, uh, uh, the federal health uh, uh, plan. One of them, of course, would expand Medicaid in a rather modest way, add some maybe 50,000 Georgians to the rolls in exchange for their uh, taking on a job or some sort of uh, volunteer work. With those apparently off the table, do you think Republicans are going to feel more pressure than before in terms of a broader expansion of Medicaid? Well, unfortunately, this is just another example of the Biden administration playing partisan politics rather than really getting to the uh, heart of uh, states and state governments being the laboratory of public policy to uh, for proposals for more efficient, effective use of taxpayer dollars to have a better income, better outcome. And uh, and it's it was a policy contemplated, of course, in the Affordable Care Act. And so the fact that uh, there was uh, provisional support from the federal government and then once uh, President Biden takes office, that support is pulled is unfortunate. Look, I think that uh, health care continues to be an important focus of state government. You, we have heard from Speaker Ralston that there is a commitment to mental health uh, treatment. And uh, that, I, that kind of leadership that we're seeing out of the state capitol, I think, will continue to be an example to other states in the country. And I think it's something that all Georgians can be very proud of. Stephen? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're expecting the governor to talk about is money for rural health care. Um, I believe there's going to be money to expand nursing programs uh, at the University System of Georgia. And I know uh, Mercer University in Macon is going to be the recipient of some things to train doctors. And so when you look at the state's budget holistically over the last few decades and coming out of the recession, everything was hit hard. And, you know, slowly but surely uh, coming out of that recovery, we've seen different governors offer different things to get the funding back to where it needs to be and to tackle things. And I think in the governor's state of the state today, but also I was looking at his old ones over the last few years, you know, rural health care, mental health care and uh, lowering uh, the cost of health care in Georgia has been priorities over the year. And while you can't hit a home run with uh, funding every need and every crisis at once, I think what we'll see from the governor's address and these deliberations in the legislature is continuing to get towards a better place with that Monday, because as uh, House Appropriations Chairman Terry England says, the budget is a statement of the state's values. And I think Democrat and Republican lawmakers in Georgia would say that these health care issues are values to them. And so that's why uh, you'll see these mentioned in the speeches instead of some more base-pleasing, you know, hyperbolic language. Okay. Um, thank you for a really terrific conversation, all of you, on the governor's budget proposals. We're going to get to our first break of the show. When we come back, there were some other interesting uh, uh, remarks made at the Eggs and Issues breakfast from uh, Andre Dickens, the new mayor of Atlanta, from Senator Raphael Warnock. I want to talk about those and more with this panel. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thank you. 
State Senator Sonia Halpern, State Representative Chuck F. Stration, Kevin Riley of the AJC, Stephen Fowler of GPB uh, are all with us uh, for the show today. Before we get back to the conversation, a couple quick program notes. Number one, as I said, remember we do this show live uh, during the 9 o'clock hour. And uh, that means that if you want to watch or listen to the governor's state of the state address, we have a way you can do that. Uh, At 11 a.m., I'll be anchoring GPB Radio's coverage of the state of the state address. At the same time, if you want, you can watch it on our website at gpb.org. And then tonight at 7 o'clock, lawmakers will have expanded coverage and reaction to the speech and will also bring you the Democrats' response, the annual uh, response to the State of the State uh, speech. Um, One other quick program note. I mentioned that yesterday I was excited about the fact that we've launched a new Political Rewind weekly newsletter, bringing you highlights of what's happening in politics in Georgia, across the country, every week. Uh, If you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter, it's very easy. Go to gpb.org slash newsletters, and there you'll see the several newsletters that uh, we bring you um, from different divisions of GPB News, and we hope you'll sign up for each and every one of them that we sure hope you'll sign up for the GPB Political Rewind newsletter. All right, let's move forward. Um, Stephen Fowler, uh, Mayor Dickens essentially gave his, I think, it's fair to say an address in front of the most important audience he's faced so far. Many of the real strong corporate leaders uh, in the state of Georgia, the elected leadership uh, of the state, were all gathered at the Eggs and Issues breakfast yesterday. And um, Andre Dickens struck an extremely different tone from what we've heard from Keisha Lance Bottoms, his predecessor for the last four years. She, of course, was at odds continually with uh, Governor Kemp over COVID policies and other matters. Um, And yesterday, Andre Dickens uh, reached out to them. He said, I'm a guy who believes in drawing circles to encompass people, not drawing lines that divide us. And he said, quote, let's draw some circles together, guys, and give each other a little bit of time, a little bit of grace to be able to work well together in this great state of Georgia. He didn't mention the Buckhead City movement, Stephen, but clearly that's one of his biggest agendas with uh, leaders of the state. Yeah, so Andre Dickens is coming in at a particularly fraught time for city-state relationships. Uh, you know, when Kasim Reed was uh, mayor and Nathan Deal was governor, there was a strong relationship there. Brian Kemp and Keisha Lance Bottoms, not so much. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms and Republicans in general, not so much. And you've got a lot of big decisions happening in the city of Atlanta and with the state this next year. And so Andre Dickens mm-hmm. is trying to create a clean slate, a clean break between really the last eight years of mayoral administration and uh, realizes that, you know, the, the state of Georgia can't do things without the city of Atlanta. The city of Atlanta can't do things without the state of Georgia. So the tone that we've seen so far from Andre Dickens, Atlanta City Council President Doug Shipman, and legislative leaders is trying to figure out how to repair that city-state relationship and to start off with uh, gloves of kindness instead of boxing gloves. <laughs> Kevin? 
Yeah, I think that Mayor Dickens has done some of the real basics here that many people have been calling for both publicly and privately, right? I mean, um, Mayor Bottoms was criticized for just basically refusing to talk to the people in Buckhead who were upset. And at this point, Mayor Dickens has done some of that. He's, He's tried to mend fences with the people at the state level. And now it's a question of where do we go from here, right? And I think our legislators here on the show can help us because as we sit here today, none of their fellow legislators in in, in either chamber support this Buckhead legislation, the, the folks who actually are in the city, representing the city of Atlanta. Uh, and the support's coming uh, from elsewhere uh, David Perdue has thrown down the gauntlet in supporting it. So Mayor Dickens, uh, if he wants to keep this thing from happening, has got a steep hill to climb and is going to need some help climbing it. Well, Senator Halpern, we should turn to you on uh, this uh, question. Uh, uh, Mayor Dickens did uh, yesterday say that he is going to create a new police precinct fully staffed in Buckhead to deal with what he recognizes is a significant crime problem there. Um, Give us your take on where we're headed with this Buckhead City initiative, since we're talking about your territory. Yeah, um, let me just say that um, our new mayor, who we really are so excited Mm. about, the tone that he's setting, the actions that he's already begun to take, um, I think it really will be a difference maker. And even for us in the city of Atlanta delegation, you know, very quickly we had a meeting with him. He is very much... Um, in communication with us, and, and we're, we're all keeping an eye on the Buckhead City issue. What I think is going to happen this session, and the mayor himself asked for grace, and without speaking specifically of Buckhead City, I do think that he is a new mayor. He is showing himself to be somebody who does want to create those circles, not lines. And in the time that we will serve this uh, legislative session, is it would it really give him enough time to begin to put into place the things that need to happen to address the issues. He can start to put them into place for sure. This precinct opening, which I think is happening, there's a, a thing happening today at 10. Um, there are other specific uh, things that he has already determined that he's going to do, has said and articulated out loud that he's going to do, and is starting to actually work towards giving him the opportunity to do that. For us in the legislature, our job really is going to be to, to decide the merits of the request if we, and what the implications of the request will be, not just on Buckhead City, not just on Atlanta, but on the region and the state as a whole. And I think that is where we, I'm hoping that we will take a very tempered um, strategic approach to figuring out not only should this happen, but but the timing for which we will make that decision. Well, what, Bill, when a new mayor takes office, of course, we always begin with an optimistic, hopeful um, perspective and outlook. We hope that uh, there will be a great relationship. And I'll just say that Mayor Dickens' campaign issues and certainly the uh, speech that he gave yesterday 
really indicate a willingness. First of all, he uh, said he's willing to cross the street from Atlanta City Hall to come to state capitol and willing to work together with state legislators on important policies that are impacting the state. The direction of, of Georgia's capital city, Atlanta, impacts the entire state. And so a good working relationship there is very important. I think he very much understands the public safety concerns that have been voiced out of Buckhead, but also throughout Atlanta. And these are bipartisan concerns. It's, re it's really uh, outside of partisan politics. And I think that the uh, announcement of opening a precinct there and the willingness to meet with residents in Buckhead is really an important step to, uh, to, to reflect the understanding and concern about the public safety issues and the increase in crime that's been seen, particularly over the past two years. Representative Estration, it is notable that neither the Speaker nor the Governor uh, have weighed in on whether or not they want to see the Buckhead City movement move forward during this legislative session. Now, at some point, clearly, they're going to have to declare themselves one way or the other. But what is that? How does that leave representatives like you, who are uh, Republicans, in terms of your thinking about an issue like about this issue specifically? Well, I, th I think we've heard out of the state capitol already that there are a lot of mechanical questions just involved in this. What's to be done with bonds? What about the Atlanta public school system, and how would that be impacted? I mean, a lot of really important questions that have to be discussed and addressed. And I'll just say this. Uh, Speaker Ralston, Governor Kemp, they'll continue to lead on important issues. And if legislation is brought by a legislator to to uh, to bring this up for consideration, I'm sure that uh, that we are going to really see uh, some of those technical questions put to those sponsors. How exactly will this work? And as I said, uh, you don't have to represent part of Atlanta to be concerned about Atlanta's future and want to make sure that Atlanta and, and the residents of Atlanta are on a positive trajectory uh, for pub issues of public safety, for issues of uh, economic development and growth, that impacts all Georgians. And, and so, uh, so I think uh, that consideration will be given by legislators from throughout the state. Kevin, one other quick note about this. Um, again, going back to the David Perdue-Brian Kemp primary battle, uh, you mentioned earlier that David Perdue has already said he wants to eliminate the state income tax. Governor Kemp's looking for a counter to that that isn't uh, so dramatic. And David Perdue has also weighed in on saying, yes, the Buckhead City movement should go to a vote by the people. Um, it puts Brian Kemp in a position of having to figure out how he positions himself in relation to that. Right. I, I, without question, uh, Brian Kemp's in a tough spot on that. But look, uh, mm. you know, Kemp and Speaker Ralston are shrewd politicians. And so they don't have to show their cards yet, and they're not going to. And I don't think uh, that's a surprise. I think they'll wait to see uh, how this plays out. And I think people who oppose the Buckhead cityhood movement are generally helped by this dragging on a little bit, because as Representative Abstration has mentioned, at first, hey, Buckhead's got a crime problem, let's form our own city, that can fix it. It's a quick, simple answer to a crisis. And as the issue is examined more closely and complications become clear, I think that helps the opposition make the case that this may not and probably is not, in their view, the best way to go. Okay. Um, well, obviously, that's going to be one of the major issues we watch as the legislative session unfolds. Stephen, let's uh, move on. Um, uh, we, you, you covered the visit of uh, President Biden 
to Atlanta the other day in which he finally, finally, as far as a lot of Democrats feel, voting rights advocates feel, finally endorsed strongly passing this bill, eliminating the 60-vote hurdle for getting the two measures through the Senate. He's meeting today with the Democratic Senate caucus to talk to them about a vote he expects that Chuck Schumer is going to put on the floor Monday to clear the way for a debate over the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the other major bill coming forward. But, Stephen, he is getting strong, strong pushback, as you would expect, from Republicans in Georgia and nationally. Uh, Yesterday, again, at the Eggs and Issues breakfast, Speaker Ralston really hammered uh, the president, essentially saying he talked about a state I don't recognize. Some guy, he said, named Jefferson Davis, uh, complaining about the fact that um, Biden's compared the people who are not supportive of uh, voting rights changes with the former president of the Confederacy. It's so it, it, this once again, George is in the heart of this major battle. Right. And I mean, I, I think I think for better or worse in Georgia, at least a lot of the midterm election this year is going to be centered around uh, voting rights and what Congress is or is not able to do. I mean, you know, elections have been a key issue in Georgia for many, many years, really for the last four years. And this federal legislation is a rallying cry for both parties, um, complicating things. You have plenty of voting rights groups and Democrats in Georgia that said, don't come down here. Don't speak about this here. You're preaching to the choir. You need to be up in Washington, twisting arms and getting people to do this legislation. Uh, but at the same time, you have Biden coming down here and Republicans uh, lining up to say that what you're saying is amounting to a federal election takeover. These bills aren't needed. Georgia's election law is great. And really, it just kind of uh, galvanizes a lot of people around this issue. And Georgia has uh, really in the last three years, we've had not one but two big, complex voting law changes. And uh, it's confusing. It's confusing on a good day. It's confusing when uh, people selectively talk about part of the 98 page law that's going on. And I think you're going to see uh, Georgia as a big proxy battle for whatever is or is not going on in Washington. Um, Senator Halpern, I want to read you just a a, a paragraph from Charles Blow's column in the New York Times today. People who read the Times know that Charles Blow is one of the progressive columnists in the paper. Um, And he uh, really put it on the line in terms of Biden's approach to all of this. He says, quote, for a year, activists have been screaming and pleading and begging and getting arrested, trying to get the White House to put the full weight of the presidency behind protecting voters' rights, only to be met by silence or soft peddling. When Biden fully entered the battle, the other warriors were already bloodied, bruised and exhausted. Now, whether you believe that Georgia's new election law is, in fact, suppressive of uh, minority votes or not, Biden's putting his reputation on the line once again by finally coming to this issue. Democrats, so when we won the Senate seat here in Georgia and therefore were able to have the White House, the House and the Senate, voting rights really has been the big major issue that Dems have wanted to see get done. And it hasn't gotten done, and there is a lot of frustration amongst 
Dem Democrats in general, and then as a subset amongst African Americans who have traditionally been the most reliable voting bloc for the Democratic Party. Um, I was there uh, at Clark Atlanta uh, in the AU Center to hear the president and hear the vice president this week. Um, I was very glad personally to hear them not just lay out the issues, but commit to making sure that voting rights is something that they actually take action on. I think that that was the most important part about what happened the other day is that what we heard finally is, is, a, is a real commitment with, with, the, with the hope, well, with the anticipation and intention of action behind it to do something. Um, we, we, this is, it's gotta, they've gotta do it. That's just where it's at because there's a lot of angst and it is very true and Charles Blow is right. There have been folks who have been saying this, doing the work, and not just in the past year, but in all these years prior to try to get us to the point that we're at today to ensure that voting can be accessible for everybody. Kevin? Bill, I've just recently reread the, the portion of the Robert Caro book on Lyndon Johnson about getting the Civil Rights mm -hmm. Act passed. And what struck me as I thought about Biden's visit were a couple things. The first is, look, as we sit here today, he does not have the votes. Schumer is talking, uh, Senator Schumer, the majority leader is talking about some procedural things that they may do. But as we sit here today, he does not have the votes. And all Lyndon Johnson did back in the 60s to get that Civil Rights Act passed was to work and work and work until he had the votes. Now, one other thing about the challenge Biden has is that voting, uh, the voting bill, which is you know, such a passion point for so many, was not at the top of his list when he became president. We had COVID, we had other things there, and now he's gotten to it. So if you were to defend the administration, and that's not certainly not my job, they had other things that were lined up and they finally gotten to this. And I think they're realizing, hey, we can't, we may not be able to pull this off. A coming to Atlanta and making a very spirited speech does not mean it's going to pass. That has almost nothing to do with whether it will pass. Um, by the way, Master of the Senate, that Robert Carroll book, is one of the greatest books about politics and how you exert leadership that you could possibly ever want to read. If you haven't read it, you should go out and get it now. Representative Evstration, before we take a break, one last comment about this. Apparently, Governor Kemp has uh, decided he does not want to see any new election bills introduced this session, or he certainly doesn't want to support them. There's been a, uh, an effort. There's, there's going to be a bill to drop uh, to uh, get rid of drop boxes altogether, for example. There's another measure that would uh, do away with many of the voting, most of the voting machines, uh, have people vote on paper ballots. But the governor apparently says... We've got the best Election Integrity Act in the country, and we're going to stick with it. Well, there's a lot to discuss here with what's been covered. But I think an important component of this is the true division within the Democrat Party. Let me just begin by saying many liberal groups refuse to participate in President Biden's uh, visit to Georgia. Stacey Abrams uh, cited a scheduling issue and, and refused to be on stage with him. Uh, we still haven't heard what that is scheduling issue was. 
the fact that Chuck Schumer is talking about changing the, the filibuster rule in the Senate, I think, speaks more to his concern about a primary by AOC than anything else. Uh, the fact that uh, Democrats previously removed the filibuster for judicial appointments certainly was something that they were unhappy about when Trump was in, in office. Look, the Election Integrity Act put in code drop boxes, which many of the liberal states, including New York, don't have in law. Also, in New York, there is no uh, no excuse absentee ballots. You have to state that you're out of town or ill or something like that and can't uh, come on Election Day. Georgia has no excuse absentee ballots. I mean, the fact is, if President Biden was truly concerned about uh, election access and truly concerned about this policy, he'd be going to many liberal states where it's much harder to vote than Georgia, such as New York or his home state of Delaware. And this is no more than partisan politics. It's unfortunate, but I think the division within the Democrat Party has made President Biden feel that he has to try to take on this issue. And uh, the majority leader of the Senate may try to change the Senate rules because of this division within the Democrat Party. Well, what we see here, obviously, as we go to our final break of the show, is that the division between Democrats and Republicans over exactly what Georgia's new election laws do, whether they suppress the vote or, in fact, are more liberal than uh, states like uh, the governor's, I mean, the president's own state of Delaware, is going to continue to be a battle. I will, Senator Halpern, before people start tweeting and sending me notes, I will defend Democrats by saying when Chuck Evstration talks about the Democrat Party, I get a lot of messages from people saying they're not the Democrat Party, it's the Democratic Party, and we will concede that that's what the party is called. Let's take our final break, and we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to uh, the final minutes of today's Political Rewind. Uh, State Senator Sonia Halpern, Representative Chekhov Strachan, Stephen Fowler, and Kevin Riley with me for today's show. Um, Stephen, because you're down at the Capitol uh, on a daily basis, I want to ask you, I I know this is a very broad question, and then I'd love to hear what Senator Halpern and Representative Strachan have to say about it. We know that in Washington right now, on Capitol Hill, the atmosphere is so poisonous that the parties cannot even speak uh, to each other. Um, The uh, House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection uh, has asked a number of Republican members to uh, voluntarily testify. They've refused. Most now Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, says he won't testify. It's all contributing to this toxicity. What, What are you seeing in terms of how that's translating in the state of Georgia, where clearly Republican legislators and Democratic legislators have some very different agendas. But are they able to communicate and get along in a more amiable way than what we see in Washington? Well, certainly. I, I mean, I think at the local level, things are always going to be more amicable than what you see in Washington. I mean, You know, if you're a congresswoman from northwest Georgia, you can yell at the congresswoman from Wyoming because you don't probably have to see her most of the rest of the time. But, I mean, everyone's neighbors and, you know, mostly friendly here at the Capitol. I mean, it's important to note that really the biggest division in Georgia's legislature isn't between Democrats and Republicans. It's between the House chamber and the Senate chamber. You know, the Senate only has 56 members. There's a lot more uh, 
outsized personalities, and uh, there's also a lot more of them running for higher office this year. And uh, there's a lot more uh, posturing within the Republican Party in particular over the direction of the party. And, you know, the House is a little bit more deliberative, has 180 people. It's a lot harder to please everyone. And so I think, um, you know, it's still pretty friendly, uh, even within all of those challenges. I mean, I read in the AJC this morning that uh, the Republican chairman of the Freedom Caucus said, you know, he's not going to go around trying to primary other Republicans that don't agree with his policies because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we have to serve the lawmakers have to serve the 10 million people of the state of Georgia that live right around the corner, right around the street from him. So it is a lot nicer. Representative yeah. Stration and then Senator Halpern, I, I, I ask this because I think many we are so tired of the toxicity among uh, Washington uh congressional uh, members of Congress uh, because nothing at all gets done. And, and I think we all are so weary of it that I think it's relevant to ask about the state capital. I think there are two important things, as we've discussed on your show before, Phil, uh, Bill, when we're able to uh, discuss local issues with our constituents, our constituents know how to reach us. They want problem-solving approaches brought up the state capitol. They're not interested in posturing to national media, trying to uh, uh, focus on some sort of national campaign. Uh, in the Georgia House and Georgia Senate, Republicans and Democrats sit together on the floor. Uh, there's no division within um, you know, certain wings of the chamber. And I think that the importance of, of really working across party lines to address issues that are clear and need to need to be fixed is uh, prevalent. Now, there are plenty of disagreements on philosophical uh, differences, and that's fine. We have those respectful debates, and we're able to, I think, keep it respectful. And so uh, that, that, I believe, is one reason the state legislature is really separate and apart from the gridlock that we see in the U.S. Congress. Senator Halpern? We here also like to pride ourselves on the fact that so many of the pieces of legislation that are passed are done so in a bipartisan manner. And in order to get those those things done, even if they're not the big major issues, right, on the big things, we're often not going to agree. We may agree that something has to be done, but we may not agree the direction in which to take to get it done in the in the big on the big things we may not agree but there's so many of the little things that we want to get done that we have to be able to be respectful to each other if we are fussing and fighting so dramatically and and in such a toxic way that we see in dc we won't be able to do the smaller things that also make a difference kevin riley this is not to say that issues that have been promoted by republicans like abortion like election law reform and a number of other measures haven't caused great anxiety downtown uh and we don't want to forget that either as we end the show today kevin well yeah uh, Stephen made the point right there we have a few people running for higher office particularly in the senate and they're after those wedge issues to inspire a base whether they're practical reasonable or likely to even be passed. Kevin Riley gets the last word on today's Political Rewind. Thank you, of course, Kevin, Stephen Fowler, Senator Halpern, 
Representative Evstration, I'm so glad you could join us for this conversation today. Um, we'll be back with you if you're listening live this morning at 11 to present the Governor's State of the State address. And tonight again on Lawmakers, you will see the address. You'll hear analysis of the address and the Democratic response. Stephen Fowler will be there along with Riley Bunch covering all the activity at the Capitol today. We'll be back with a new show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Thank you for being with us. Please take care, stay healthy, wear your mask. Omicron is everywhere and get that booster shot. See you all later.